Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Hello. Come on, say hi, everybody. Hi there. Hello. We'll go around. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, I can't say that um, no better day to drink wine than every day. Agreed? Agreed. I would have to agree. Bart? Agreed. However, this is a special day. And today, not only is your anniversary, Devin, but it is National Wine Day, which is what brings us all together. What better day than National Wine Day? How does a day become a national day? Does anybody know I the answer like to that? I feel like there's a day for everything now. Why uh, not? Why it not? It really <laughs> seems that way. I mean, Devin, do you know I don't why know. it's National Wine Day? Somebody just threw a dart at a dartboard and it I, happened to be today. It's today. Because National Drink Wine Day is in February, but today is National Wine Day. So who knows? So you know that there is a process to having a national day of anything? And there's a calendar with open dates. And don't ask me the actual process, but there is a, an application process. And if it gets approved, it's the day. Okay. Interesting. That is very interesting. interesting. Not only What's interesting, too, is that there's not only a National Wine Day, but there's a National Wine Drink Day. So on National Wine Day, you're not supposed to drink wine? I think, you you're know, I think supposed you're supposed to, to drink wine every day. Every day. Yeah. We, yeah. we established <laughs> that, right? So let's formally introduce you, Devin. Why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you and your company, which is what brought us this beautiful wine that we're going to taste and discuss today. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Devin Loke Ulrich, and I uh, represent Foley Family Wines, um, which is a portfolio of about 40 different wine brands. Um, when we've got wine from California, Oregon, Washington, and New Zealand. Wow. So as we get into this, I won't steal your story, but we will talk about your wine allocation a little bit, Bart, and how you discovered one or two of the Foley family Pinots. That's oh, right. Interesting. That's right. Let's keep everybody on the edge of your seat. <laughs> Let's do that. Though. Let's do that. Um, so what do we have? I mean, let's, let's, let's pop start. some bubbly, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Should we let Bart do the honor? Do you want to introduce? Of course. Well, I can, if you would like. You can pop it. So and we can let Devin yeah. do the. Okay. This one is uh, the Lucian Albrecht Brut Rosé, and I call this the marriage of the two hottest categories there is right now. So we've got rosé and a little bit of sparkling, and this is a Cremant, and I believe you were going to. Yeah, we were going to ask Scott okay. if he knows what a Cremant is. And I very subtly under my breath said, I do not. <laughs> but I would about, love to know. How about Nick? I I'm do not. Give you, give you a chance. No, I. I I'm not a bubble connoisseur like yourself, Bart. All right. So, so a Cremant is a sparkling wine that is made method Champenois, mm -hmm. not in the village of Champenois or Champagne. So anywhere else in France that they make sparkling wine, um, but it also has to follow the the traditional. There's other ways to make sparkling wine, but if they follow a traditional method of Champagne, it is a Cremant. Okay. And this one is from Alsace, and it's 100% uh, Pinot Noir. Where is this from? Alsace. Okay. Scott knows exactly where Alsace <laughs> is. I do not. <laughs> I, that was my next question. Uh, where is this region? So Upper France, Lower... Um, um, uh, I want to say it's east. Yes, it is east. North. North of um, uh, uh, Danielle can maybe look that up. Yeah. Help us out here. It's on the uh, the east east central. And it's on the border. Boy, I'm I'm rusty. So yeah, would a Cremant be on the sweeter side, the drier side? What would we you tell us? Why don't you, I want yeah. you to taste this and you tell yeah, okay. me. This is like the gem of our portfolio. It's one of my favorites. I love bubbles, though. I know you're not a bubble connoisseur. I am not, but I—that I, doesn't you. mean that I don't enjoy it. It's just I'm—I'm—I don't nearly know it or drink it enough to to really know what to buy, where to go. That's why something like this is great because yeah. you get it introduced to new things. So well, we should change that. The part yep. you don't drink. Cheers! Enough, Cheers! Cheers! To National Wine Day. 
I see why it's your treasure. Mm -hmm. mm, that's very nice. It is. It's definitely not dry, but it's not sweet either. Mm -hmm. um, it has a know, dry finish. Uh, it's good. It, it, yeah, that's very good. I would think you would like that a lot, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I, I don't like sweet in wine in any capacity, really. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I, I like dry wines across the board. doesn't matter the type, really. Yeah, but you also like very mountain cabs and a lot of tannins and, and very yeah. earthy, <laughs> whereas Bart does not particularly. Um, you know, I, I think part of just the purchasing of wine, so I'll use an example. I was just at, um, I guess you'd call it a resort, and they had a sommelier there and an interesting class. The lady was very knowledgeable, and there were some things. I always learned something from any of these conversations. Yeah. And she talked a lot about how <clears throat> just the difference approach of how France makes wine and how Italy makes wine and that, you know, in particular, Americans per se aren't necessarily big purchasers of French wine or Italian wine because of the way the labels are designed and uh, just the foreignness of to what I'm buying. It's unfamiliar to me, whereas intimidating, intimidating you know. A French wine will never say, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, or it says more of the wine region that it's made of, and you and, need to know and the village what mm -hmm. grapes yeah. that region produces. Yeah. So unless you know that, you're kind of flying blind. Right. And I don't know one label from another label. So by default, I'm going to go where I'm most comfortable. To your point, I enjoy champagne or sparkling wine, but I only know maybe one or two labels. And outside of that, I don't, I don't acquire. But I would argue that'd be most people when they go to a store right. and they're going to buy anything, they're going to go off of what they recognize from good marketing, right? Or, oh, that's a cool label. Oh, I heard cabs are good, you know, and they're just going to buy what's familiar, not necessarily what they like. And that's right. the same as in a restaurant on a menu as well. Yeah. People want a safe bet. They're spending a little bit of money, maybe a lot of money. Um, and they want a safe bet of something they're familiar with. So it's not every day that everybody goes outside of their comfort zone and picks something new or, or takes that risk. Yeah. And I think on top of that, we're in California. California right. has an amazing production of wine. So that's a part of it too. California sells in California. Right. 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 I want to change that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Oregon wine as an example or Washington mm -hmm. wines. Agreed. But you don't, or I would say Oregon a little bit more than Washington in terms of its availability. Right. But they make some wonderful wines. Oregon's uh, in, in demand, and I would say buy your Oregon wines now because prices are going to go up. They got hit hard by the fires last year, and uh, production is down about 70% oh, wow. for this Man. current vintage. So, um, wow. you know, oh my gosh. definitely purchase your Oregon wines now. So what mm -hmm. would the current vintage be then? Uh, 20, 2019 and 2020 okay. um, is what is out there right now and what people are bottling. Okay. Wow. The fires are 2020, though. They were. And when were yeah. the – so the Napa Valley fires were the big, the most well, recent Napa, ones. I mean, Napa Valley has had so many as of late. It's almost yeah. every single year. Seems and like it. Uh, you know, it's another dry year this year, so we'll see what happens. But um, hopefully, you know – will escape that this year, but um, Oregon was hit the hardest last year. Wow. Yeah. So with Foley Family, you yep. mentioned 40? 40, 40 different labels. And that's oh. just wines. Correct. Uh, we have one brand, uh, one spirit brand, which is Horse Soldier Bourbon. Exceptional story. Um, I, that's, you know, a conversation for another podcast because um, it's the original people that were, uh, if you've seen the uh, movie 12 Strong, it's yeah. the people that the actual living people that were um, that movie is based upon have developed um, a bourbon brand called Horse Soldier. Oh wow! Yeah. And so, where's that made? Uh, they're actually building a distillery in Kentucky right now. It's currently being bottled in Ohio, um, but they're building a distillery, uh, and it'll be the thirteenth dist distillery on the Bourbon Trail. Oh hmm. wow! Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And the All person right, that runs gotta, that brand is local. We got to so get, get our hands them. on yeah, some of that. Yeah, we got to get them in here. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we know excited. people. We know people. <laughs> we definitely do. All right. So speaking on to this wine. So can bubbles be a a wine for any occasion, any meal, 
across the board. Bart, you, the you cannot answer that first. Because Bart would say 100%. Devin. I agree hold, wholeheartedly. Okay. Absolutely. I I love bubbles. I drink bubbles all day, every day. So, so yes. The, the only exception I would say, I would not probably do a rosé brute for any meal, any time. I mean, it's it's wonderful, right. but just a regular brute. And about two years ago, um, Tish and I went to a dinner, and it was Cristal, mm-hmm. every course, different vintage, every course, and it was amazing. See that that would be that would be <laughs> something you would never see, right? Typically, yes, was, yeah. right, an <laughs> exception to the rule where you're seeing a bubble with with multiple courses because it always starts off with the lightest thing you can eat. You know, maybe some caviar, maybe an oyster, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the the quintessential things you hear. Mm-hmm. So champagne or sparkling wine is known as the most easiest to pair with and pretty much anything. Just think about dessert, appetizer. Yeah. Mastro's Mastro's last year, their number one promotion that they've ever done in the history of Mastro's yeah. was champagne and fried chicken. During COVID, oh, it beat sales um, of any other promotion that they've ever done. And that wow. was takeout only. So champagne and fried chicken. It's supposed to be the the ultimate pairing. <laughs> oh, my Jeez. gosh. We got to do that. I'll bet you their fried chicken is exceptional, too. <laughs> and it's only it's only on special occasions. So if you ever see it, get it. It's wow. unreal. It's unreal. so funny because whenever we go to any steakhouse, Melissa's really, as you know, my wife, she's not much of a steak eater. So for years, we would go to Roos Chris or to Matt when we would go. Yeah. Never would she order the steak. It was always the chicken dish. But I got to tell you, they do a hell of a chicken Absolutely. as well. So don't knock it. <laughs> tried it. Huh. That's great. I don't know. You wouldn't eat this with a big tomahawk. You wouldn't drink this. with Not, not the rosé, but I, I, yeah. I a would a brew. You would. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, okay. would I eat? No, if it crystal, yeah, <laughs> I would yeah. go straight. But uh, you know, if it's a tomahawk and I'm looking at a couple of big cabs or or a champagne, um, yeah, I'd go to the cab. But it's not saying you can't. Right. So what about I'm at, at the pool cabana in Phoenix? Oh, all day, and it's Rose. 115 degrees. <laughs> Rosé all day. L.A. <laughs> Lucian Albrecht, we call it L.A. all day. Absolutely, it's perfect oh, that's for the, the thing. cabanas. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is part of the Foley family. Correct. Yep. Why, why have I not been a part? Fun so fact. So fun fact. I was a member. Yes. That was the, the first winery I ever joined was a Foley family. That yeah. I was a kid when I joined 2010. Yeah. So you, I want to break this in two parts. Yep. One, Devin has to wait for the corporate response, the factual response. I want to hear from the consumer in what you love because you'd rave about the foley family society and what that all meant and what you gained by being a part of that and it was like gosh darn i need to be a part of this (laughs) so give us first the consumer the consumer version well just your testimonial yeah so me and Brittany would go up to wine country um san yanez you know los olivos all up in that area um with my parents because my my family's always been wine lovers we'd always drink wine and so we'd always go up there and do wine tastings and we stumbled across firestone winery up there uh fell in love with the property itself before the wines um it was gorgeous it's on kind of the backside rolling hills it is beautiful and uh, became members there because they had fantastic wines, reds especially, which is unique for up there because up there is typically Pinots and Shards that you're seeing more of, of that region. Um, and so they had some bigger reds, and I was like, wow, this good wine. So we joined and then traveled to Napa and became members of Foley. Once again, fell in love with the property of actually Coletto, sorry, not yeah, Foley, Coletto. of Coletto for the property because it's the most Which gorgeous. You love. You've talked about that multiple times. I tell times. everybody that ever goes to Napa, if, you don't, go, if you don't go to that <laughs> property, you are missing out of a, a special place. And their wines are fantastic as well. So we were members of those two places um, since 2010. And it's great because you get, you get the taste and gain access to all these different wineries and and they all have fantastic wines. You get discounts at all the different wineries. Um, so now anytime we go to either Napa and or um, Los Olivos, San Yanez Valley, we're 
tasting for free basically at any of the Foley family places. And we're buying wines at discount and getting perks and all these cool things. You build up points. You could do all – it's it's a really cool thing. And it's like a, a it's like a total commercial thing, but it's awesome. Yeah. It really is. And they have good wines. Where do you work, Nick? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that's why you're I wanted him to do that. Because yeah. yeah. that was the yeah, customer it's testimony. It's, it's true. Perfect. It's and then perfect. now the yeah. actual specific, yeah. you know – response yeah Can so it's basically us? yeah it's the umbrella um company to all things foley family wines and beyond so it's called the foley food and wine society and it encompasses food wine entertainment um uh and really like travel everything. hospitality too absolutely right? absolutely so um it strings together all of our wineries obviously um it started out as our direct to consumer website where you go on there and purchase wine and accumulate points for purchase uh, and then redeem those points for future wine pur- uh, purchases. Well, um, in our wider umbrella, um, there's a hockey team, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Go Knights. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, there's several resorts, several restaurants and all that. So now when you purchase your wine and you're accumulating those points, you can, by all means, um, cash in those points for future wine purchases, purchases or you could um, cash it in for merchandise, tickets, um, a stay at a resort, or if you really want to go big, you know, um, go skiing in Montana or something like that and right. experience um, as grand as mm-hmm. that. What what wineries are in the San Inez, Los Olivos region? So um, we've got... We've hold got, on, hold on. Let yeah. me, let okay, me okay. see, let me see if I miss any. So you have Foley, you have Lindcourt, oh. you have Firestone, mm-hmm. and that's it. Eos. Oh, that's Paso. Eos, two sisters, yeah. And that's the, what we call our Central Coast properties. Yeah, okay. yeah, so. that's Paso. See, yeah. I, knew, <laughs> I even knew that one. Yeah, yeah. so Lincourt, two sisters, Firestone, Shalom, which is actually really Monterey, um, and then Foley Estate. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you have Foley, which is, you know, essentially on the west side of the 101 as you're heading up. Over by Babcock off the yep, 101 exactly. past? So the only time that I've I've gone over there was when yeah. I talked to you and you said go to Babcock I yeah. went to Foley and yeah. did the whole thing yeah. Sanford's over there yeah. as yeah. well Both found they're yeah. fantastic yeah. yeah and then you have you know the other two Lindcourt and Firestone yeah. kind of on the east side I, I got to take a second when Nick said, you know, I was just a kid. And I'm looking at him like, I mean, still you're are. still a kid. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But not me, though. I didn't think about it when I looked at you. <laughs> no, no offense taken. What yeah. are the New Zealand labels? Because, you know, obviously. We yeah, have absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got um, Vavasaur, Clifford Bay. Uh, Grove Mill, um, and then Mountain Difficulty, and then Dashwood. Wow, there's a lot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Rumor has it that Bill Foley, who's obviously um, the owner of all of this enterprise, Mm -hmm. um, that he's the fourth largest landowner over there. Really? Yeah. But he's a U.S. citizen? Yes. And um, just has an affinity for New Zealand. Um, His kids learned winemaking over there. Um, They visit often and, you know, just... Have a, a deep love um, yeah. for as, as do I. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. I tell everybody it should be. Actually, never mind. I won't finish that statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep, <laughs> keep that, keep to, that yourself. to myself. <laughs> That's a good one to keep. Okay, yeah. so on that, yeah. so New Zealand is very much known. This is not, but New, Ve- New Zealand is very much known for a beautiful salve, yep. Sauvignon Blanc. Yep. Uh, Melissa, my wife, she endears. Uh, Sav Blanc. Sav Blanc, yep. Mostly through our connection uh, to New Zealand and just having enjoyed some of their wines. Uh, this is a Napa. This is actually Sonoma. So this is Chalk Hill, and it's from the Chalk Hill AVA. Um, but this is our Chalk Hill Estate Sav Blanc. Okay, 2019. Yep. I think we have some. Unusual because Sonoma is more Chardonnay. And the Chalk Hill Shard is fantastic. That's what I thought it was. I got got really excited. (laughs) Bill Foley actually lives on property. So he lives at Chalk Hill. Um, What he drinks day in and day out, his go-to is the Chalk Hill um, Estate Chardonnay. But this is, I think, another one of those hidden gems within the Chalk Hill portfolio. Mm -hmm. Now, I really enjoy Savion Blanc over a Chardonnay, unless it's an un-oaked Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. 
that's an exception, but they're not necessarily, certainly not in that, but they're not that easy to come by. Uh, William Selium make, makes one, but you're not a big fan, typically, of Sauvignon Blanc because Just, of the... I, I, I said you weren't young, so now you're calling me out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Hey, um, I enjoy. I love yeah. them. I mean, on the scale, it's not on the you know on the highest of my scale. It's a little green and bell pepper for mm-hmm. me, um, which aren't not my favorite. Th- this one is actually drinking pretty good. Um, I do like Sancerre. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a kind of a mellow yeah. down version. And Scott, I have on my Chardonnays. I have gone more towards the less oak um, and the Chablis, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know, Chablis is also Chardonnay grape, northernmost um, point of Burgundy. And that's basically no oak. That's yeah. all steel. Mm-hmm. So I'm heading in your direction, just not yeah. quite Sa Blanc yet. Right. But Scott, didn't I, you I say wonderful. New Zealand Sa Blancs were completely different than the ones you've had here, flavor-wise? Yeah, they're more green. Yeah. They're more They're, yeah. they're definitely more green. Um, yeah. Definitely. They're, I would say they're going to be drier, a little bit drier than mm-hmm. this, a little bit less sweet. Um, the thing about, I would think, New Zealand, I mean, just the the, ma- the making process of the wine is dramatically different. The irrigation is yep. going to be very natural, and um, and so that produces... The, and the heat. This is, again, the consumer. The, right. It's this, you know, the, the climate, sun. the soil, yeah. and everything's going to be a lot different. But they're very, very different. They're very crisp, um, very citrus-forward, um, very green. Yeah, but I like that. That's a great description. You, you like you like raw raw green peppers, bell peppers. Yeah. See, I I, I I don't I I don't know. In New Zealand caps, I don't get that. No. Fresh cut grass. But I'm not a level two sommelier like <laughs> you are. <either. laughs> well, it's all what you, you like know? and don't like. That's fine. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. For me, I'm I'm with Bart on that one. Not a big soft. Person. But you love rosé, though. You enjoy I do. Rose. A, a good dry rosé, yep. Yeah, like Culetto. You love their... Rosado. Um, their Rosado. <laughs> Fantastic. You love that. Oh, it's one of my favorite yes. pink wines I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to be. It's okay. Real men drink rosé. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Rosado all day. Yeah. Doesn't quite have the same ring. It does not, but it, rose it tastes just as good all day. <laughs> so the restaurants... I mean, there's, I don't know, how many restaurants that are part of the Foley Family Society? Just a handful. Um, they've got, you know, they've got some in the Healdsburg area. There's also some national um, chains that he's associated as well uh, with as well. Um, so, yeah. but So, those aren't necessarily an ownership. Those might just be an association that are part of the society. Some he owns um, directly and others he's the majority inven- uh, investor in. Got it. It's very interesting story because you have all these different wine labels, which have a winemaker. They have a history. Yep. Like it's Coletto, as yep. an example, is a very unique. The owner of that and the story and the backdrop there. Right. I think he, he, I believe, in the Bay Area, he was a restaurant owner. Yeah, Pat Coletto. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's a phenomenal property. I mean, just the drive up alone. It's if you make it to the top. If you make it, <laughs> half an hour, it's, very, it's a half an hour windy yeah, road. It's one lane, maybe not even one lane. Um, it's, you know, it's narrow. It's it's steep. Um, you get up to the top. There's a reason we make everybody leave at 3.30 p.m. Um, that's when the winery shuts down, just to make sure that everyone makes it down safe. But um, <laughs> some of the most outstanding views um, that you can see looking over the Napa Valley. Um, but there's, I think, Eight, seven or eight pizza ovens on the property as well, outdoor pizza ovens, um, obviously paying homage to um, Pat Coletto and what he's, the empire that he's built. Wow. It's really cool too. So where it sits, it's directly next to Pritchard Hill. So if Pritchard Hill, Beverly Hills of Napa Caps, like the most expensive wines you're ever going to find in Napa right there. And it's literally on the peak right next to it. So they're getting fantastic wines, but not paying the the rate, the rent cost of Pritchard Hill with fantastic wines. Mm. So it's a really cool, it's a cool property, cool experience, and it's part of the family. So you get to go. Right. And it's by appointment only, you know, the whole thing. So it's great. Nice. 
So going back to the Chalk Hill, their their the property. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was in, I mean, the one I've been to. It's in Napa, and it has the cannon. Is that right, or am I um, thinking of a different? Chalk Hill is in Sonoma. It is. So okay, it is that's the only. Map. Yeah. Got it. The one that you've been into with a cannon. The entrance in the hillside. There's a cannon, and I could have sworn there's it no was... cannon. It's no. it's up in the hillside yeah. though. It is. Yeah. So you go in you're, Sonoma. You're driving in Sonoma, like uh, you're 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 up there, and you pass Roth, and then you right head up the, the hill, gate. right across the gate from Roth, which is another Foley family yeah. property. Okay. I'll I tap them all. I think up. you need to revisit. I do. Yeah, I, I think we need to do well, it. Well, <laughs> the last time I've been, well, we went obviously for yeah. a friend's celebration, but um, that was really just the one one day of yeah. true tasting. Yeah. And Before that, it was my 10th anniversary that we okay. got there. So it's okay. been a very long time. <laughs> too, too long. Overdue. We're overdue. Yep. clearly need some more practice, Scott. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. We should look that up, though. I'm going to argue that there's a... So what are we tasting here next? Okay, so this is fun. This is really fun. So um, our Banshee tasting room is in Healdsburg, and they bought an old vintage sign that said um, El Pino Club, and it's a huge um, old metal uh, vintage sign that they've got hanging in the tasting room. So at some point along the way, our winemakers and marketing team were sitting there and saying, El Pino Club, this is just too good. We've got to create an artist series called El Pino Club, and it's basically the tale of terroir, and uh, the tale of three different Pinots from three different distinct areas. So um, it was released last year. So we've got one from Santa Rita Hills. We've got one from um, uh, Dundee um, Hills and then one from Russian River Valley. So the one we're going to taste here today is called Funky Jory. Um, and this one is from Dundee Hills, Oregon. And did you mention it was a Pinot Noir? Pinot Noir, yeah, correct. Just so yep. yep. so Dundee Hills, also Willamette Valley, right? Yes. Correct. And so the other, are they, this is Oregon. This is Oregon. The others are what states? So the cusp, Cal- um, which is part of the Pinot Club, and the cusp is from Russian River Valley, okay, California. Yeah. And yeah. then um, Sea uh, Floored is from Santa Rita Hills. Okay. This is nice. Is it nice? Yeah. Yeah, see, I particularly oh, enjoy, yeah. more. the more I drink Pinot, I really enjoy Oregon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're... Yeah. Even the little ones, they're in, um, well, what's the name of the town? I did that with, it'll come to me, hold on. But it's a tiny town just north of Portland, and they made some great wines as well. Uh, it's just the climate, right, the region. So it's much more like Burgundy there and, and even some of our, like Monterey and our northern coast where it's damp, cool evenings and then hot days, and that's what Pinot Noir really, really likes. It's it's a very temperamental, temperamental grape. Um, and what I like about this, you know, starting with the color, you know, the fact that it's dark. I mean, it's not black dark, but it's dark. For a mm-hmm. Pinot. Right? And a lot of the California Pinots are going to be a little bit lighter, so they're going to be, to me, less body, less full flavor. Um, this is going to – this is really nice. It's really fun to put all three of them next – to each other and yeah. then just look at like and just like yeah. we call it the tale of the ter- terroir and just yeah. look at like this is what Santa Rita yeah. um, Pinot looks like Pinot Noir looks like this is what Russian River looks like and this yeah. is what Dundee Hills looks like. oh yeah that you can buy it great. as a set as and well. I love the branding and the label yeah. it, I mean yeah, funky jewelry funky jewelry it's so cool because too a lot of the times labels have and we talked about this with the whiskey conversation we had um with off hours where a lot of the times the stigma around just labeling, it becomes stale. It doesn't cater necessarily to the younger, the audience. And this for sure is cool. Right. And it stands out. It definitely stands out. Yep. And the whole n- phrasing around at El Pino club is awesome. It's the and cool the, kids clubs for yeah. sure. It's limited edition. You know, obviously it's meant to be bought as a series so they can taste all three of them. And it's something that we'll add to each year. So we can just sign up for that uh, on the site, right? You could just buy it. Um, you could buy all three if you oh. liked. Yep. That's really cool. I, I will credit Mr. Bart Zanbergen for uh, introducing Pinos to oh, really? Scott and I. Really? Uh, more than just like the everyday, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Ever since we, we started hanging out and, and you know doing more stuff together, 
you have opened eyes that a Pinot can be more than just a light drinker. Yeah. Right. And, and someone like me who likes a full body wine, right. You know, more there than just like a really light everyday drinker it, that, that, that was refreshing to find, yeah. you know? And, and so why I was always going to these bigger wines is cause I like that more, you know, rounded wine, more depth, right. these yeah. kind of things. Pinots definitely have that as well. And and I never, I never knew. I think it's a natural progression. A lot of people do that when they first get into wine. If they don't like Chardonnay, they go to Cab, and then it's educating themselves on the different grape varieties right. and different varietals right. and all that. Yeah, and they come, they make their way back. Hopefully, right. like for me, a Pinot, you could drink. So I'll be the op, not the opposite, but I'm going to apply the same rule to a Champagne where a Pinot can be drank any time of the year. Very versatile. Very versatile. Where to me, the last thing I'll drink when it's ninety degrees outside, or want to, is a, a heavy cab. cab. Yeah, I'm not walking to the beach <laughs> with like <laughs> Petite Syrah cab and just like here we go, guys. Yeah, you, do, you, no, do, you do though. No, I don't. You do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Throw There's some no ice rules. cubes on no my cab. No rules. <laughs> this is just commentary. <laughs> yeah. There is zero judging oh. going no on here. Judgy. But like a cool Pinot, just slightly cooled on a summer day is wonderful to drink as a red. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Very refreshing. Shouldn't all red wine be drank chilled to some point? Yeah, 62 what's the degrees. Okay. So if it's 90 out, 62 is chilled, right? Yeah. I mean, right. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but. It uh, is. Yeah. And I have lately been putting before, um, if I take it out of a, my wine cellar and it warms up, I'll throw it just in the regular fridge for, I don't know, 10 or 15 yep. minutes. And I've been the liking it. The 10 minute rule. Yeah. Is that the 10 minute so, rule? Well, it's a joke, but we say like, you know, putting in the, your regular refrigerator for 10 minutes yeah. on the whites. Um, and then the opposite with the um, the reds, you know, put it in the refrigerator and then take it out and let it sit for 10 minutes before you drink it ah. to get it kind of that perfect temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I enjoy a red that has a slight chill on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. If it's like straight room temperature. Now, if you're drinking or having like a big old tomahawk or something, maybe a little different story. You've progressed through. But just if you're going to open a bottle of wine and start drinking Slightly it. Slightly cooled, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious to know when when the pandemic hit in terms of the wine industry with restaurants shutting down and all that, can you kind of summarize what fully family experienced and then where we sit today? Yeah. Um, Like from then to now and the kind of the transition in between. Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting, um, especially to where we are today. So obviously when the pandemic hit, um, I, I, primarily sell in um, the restaurant side of the business. So business was thriving. We were growing. Everything was dandy. Um, retail was doing well as well. Um, the pandemic hit. So hold on. Normal normal process for a restaurant looks like what? Pre-COVID in terms of determining what we buy, how much we buy, when we buy, how that. What does that normal cycle look like? Um, as far as their purchasing Pre- pattern pre- or just... Yeah, yeah, what we're buying and, and you know, in your predict, you know, the predictiveness of the business beforehand, I would imagine it's pretty, it's pretty uniform in the sense yeah. that we're doing X amount of volume. We know what our customers are buying. Right. This is what we're getting. Yeah. And to make shelf space becomes another whole separate conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, every restaurant has a menu. They're obviously trying to um, appease the masses, but also have those, you know, different interesting notes um, or offerings as well. So um, it is pretty, um, I would say it's pretty um, even keel. Um, they know what the trends are um, year over year, when their spikes are, what people are drinking and all that. So it's usually pretty um, predictive. Um, it's pretty, you know, safe bets is what I said earlier. People yeah. like kind of a safe bet on the menu when they're and out And who deep. drives the purchasing? Is it the, if they have a sommelier on site or the mm-hmm. manager, who's making yeah, those decisions? Yeah, there's usually a food and beverage team. So there may be okay. somebody dedicated just to beverage. Um, there may be somebody, it depends on the scale of the restaurant, whether it's, you know, fine dining um, or polished polished casual, casual dining. Um, they might have somebody dedicated just to wine, um, but they may have somebody that oversees just the beverage program. Mm-hmm. So beer, wine, and spirits as well. Okay. And they're ordering from their distributor. Um, the distributor is obviously educating them on everything new that they're coming, that's coming into their portfolio and um, providing them new offerings as well. 
and just kind of talking to them about what's going on in the marketplace and, you know, what others are doing that's working well or maybe not working. Um, And they're, you know, kind of always just monitoring what's going on on the menu and trying to keep everything in stock. Yeah. So, so, pre, so now yeah. pre-COVID, what things looked like and then what happened? Yeah, so um, everything was kind of, you know, like I said, <laughs> going along smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it I literally was overnight. I would wake up every morning and I oversee national account on-premise um, for the country. And our numbers, I, like I just was waiting, where's rock bottom? Right. <laughs> when is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? Our rock bottom was really like April, May. Uh, and we were down, my channel was down 97%. Oh, so the restaurants man. completely stopped. Um, once they were back open and doing, you know, to go, um, or um, I guess really it was just to go at that point. So that cycle took how long to get to 97? So it March to April. I mean, March to April. Get, yeah. I mean, That's it stopped crazy. overnight. That because is the crazy, second they ch- right? shut down restaurants... Nobody, and we'd never had experienced this before. Nobody knew what to do. Everybody was brainstorming. Everybody was trying anything and everything. And everybody was, you know, I mean, it was new territory for everybody. So it basically stops overnight. Um, Then, you know, the smart kind of figured out, okay, let's just start doing to-go or delivery. Um, Some people were kind of working in that gray area of just selling bottles to-go because they have all this inventory they're sitting on that's going to spoil, you know, especially the things that were in the draft lines. Um, and, you know, just fresh ingredients and that type of stuff. So with wine, uh, once kind of the, the, the red tape was cut through and people were able to sell wine and spirits to go, then we started seeing um, everybody just trying to sell their inventory just to kind of scrape by. So they started selling their inventory at like, you know, 30%, 50% off, depending on what it was. And just kind of not buying, obviously, anything. Not buying anything. I couldn't sell a bottle of anything <laughs> to save my life. I mean, we were like, everybody was brainstorming. Okay, what? where do we go now? Can we help retail? Can we help restaurants? I spent a lot of my time um, assisting our retail partners and literally going and buying to support the restaurants, we would go to like, you know, BJ's or CPK or Cheesecake Factory and buy a lunch. A bunch of wine. No, we'd oh. buy lunch <laughs> and we would take it to the frontline workers at the grocery stores because they were the people that had been there since three o'clock in the morning. It's now lunch. They haven't eaten anything. And we were just taking meals into them as in a Good way to support you. the restaurants, but then also to support, you know, those in the retail. And because need. they, I mean, they, their world flipped overnight as well. So um, it was, it was interesting. It was strange. You know, it was scary and exciting at the same time. And then obviously as things kind of started to open back up, every state was completely different. Um, people worked through their inventory and started to say, okay, now I need basically dual purpose serves. So it was something with the screw cap um, that they could pour in restaurant if people could come in restaurant or in the parking lot or wherever they were serving them, but also would be a, um, something that they could sell um you know, basically at retail as well. So if somebody was coming in to pick up their food to go, they'd say, would you like to buy a couple bottles of wine? as well. So they started selling these dual purpose serves. And then they, as things progressed a little bit more, everybody kind of went to a, an amended or reduced menu. So um, that's so interesting. The Just that little thing of, all right, if I'm going to buy and go a wine, I want it to be a screw top. Don't sell me a cork top well, because I just want to... Open it and drink. Because the next question would be like, I mean, there was people like Mastro's was, we must uh, mentioned Mastro's before. They were selling all of their wines at 50% off. If you're going to buy wine at Mastro's, you're going home where you've got a corkscrew. Some people were like going over to their friend's house. Who knows what they were doing? Right. Drinking in the parking lot. I don't know. No judgment. That's amazing. (laughs) But to me, it was, it's crazy how the laws um, changed and or temporarily changed where people walked around with cocktails and and cups and it's okay to like like leave a restaurant with a cocktail. And and let me just tell you the things that they were putting the cocktails in. Like I would go to support just local restaurants around here and it's like you'd get a soup container for what? (laughs) You'd get like literally something styrofoam from another. You know, I mean, they were just literally trying to use anything they could, you know, and trying to stay alive and scrape together with what they could. Um, I mean, there was like so many funny memes going around about like, you know, it's okay as long as it doesn't have a straw in it type right. of thing. You know? you know, just as a quick sidebar, you know, we give our hats off to the the, um, the owners of the restaurants oh. and the business people that like mm-hmm. they saw a situation, they pivoted, they did. did what they had to do. Now, that industry is probably where my heart cries the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, service, you know, hair salons, yeah. restaurants yeah. and yep. so forth. But for those that were able to pivot and, and figure out ways, okay, we're going to do screw cap wine. Yeah. We're going to do whatever it takes. and. Yep. As hard as it was, you know, the ones that are still standing, I'm really, yeah. really thankful. Absolutely. That, that, it's a scrappy industry. You know, I mean, they, I mean they're resourceful. Um, yeah. These operators are not, you know, they're smart. 
and, yeah, and they'll figure out a way. Yeah. Very resilient. And yeah. to me, that's a silver lining of just like affirming the fact that we as people and Americans, or if you will, or yeah. just humans are resilient. You know, you back us into a corner, we'll figure a way. There's always to, another way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. You know, I think the statistic came out in California, 70% of restaurants had to close because of it. Yeah. So, and you can see when you're talking from one month over your sales, basically down to zero, basically, you know, so you imagine each one of those restaurants are the same because yeah. they're your and customer. And it's not an industry that has large cash yeah, exactly. reserves. Exactly. Huge, right? yeah. so. huge margins. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah, you made me think, Devin, there's a, there's a, um, a local place in Laguna Beach, uh, um, Mexican food. They were serving margaritas, and I think it was in, like, salad dressing cups. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was literally <laughs> yeah. anything yeah. they could find. I, I mean, yeah. literally plastic bags, they, anything that they could find. I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, the, se- the second they said go, you can do to go, they're like, all right, what do we got? Yeah. Let's go. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, selling to the next Game customer on. that walks in that door because that's that extra margin <laughs> that they need, you that's know? Right. Now, conversely to that, you had – I would come home every day in April oh, and yeah. in May, and you know this, in our community, and – There'd be 15, 20 people, you know, on their lawn chairs, out front. Everyone's drinking wine. Yep. So we're all buying or, I mean, I guess at first maybe we're drinking our wine. Yeah. But then we quickly transitioned. Pantry loading. Everybody's pantry loading. Okay, so what did that then look like? So retail obviously flipped, you know, as fast as on-premise went down, off-premise or retail went up, right? Because everybody was going to the store less often than they used to and they were loading up, Right. So, I mean, the retailers could not put product on the shelf fast enough. Um, so, you know, the pantry loading helped the overall industry um, because retail was then, you know, up gangbusters and making up for the loss of the on-premise and the restaurants. So, um, you know, it but was... But does it compare from a distribution standpoint of re- restaurant distribution of a, of a wine or a spirit versus what we were consuming um, I would say, any, I mean, really anything under the sun was being consumed, right? Yeah. So I think people <laughs> yeah. were, I think people were equal opportunity <laughs> during that time and kind yeah. of willing to like experiment a little bit more. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some um, offerings that um, are more on-premise centric than um, like retail that was of things that you're purchasing at retail, but really it was a balance. I mean, it kind of balanced itself out. And then within your company, because certainly was the case in ours where insurance is so archaic. Uh, and probably three years behind any normal level yeah. of, of technology curve. COVID certainly oh, yeah. compressed our acceleration. Yeah. Uh, demandingly so. Right. So what changes uh, from a technology standpoint? I mean, they're, okay. from consumers, restaurants yeah. obviously innovated dramatically in a short amount of time. Yeah. What about the wine space? So two things. First of all, if they weren't already doing DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats or something like that, um, and they had been resisting and kind of waiting and uh, just, you know, dragging their heels just because they didn't have time, I mean, they started doing that overnight, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody had to get on board with um, some kind of third-party delivery service. Secondly, which I think is the most interesting, is the good old QR code. So about 10 years ago... Um, I was working for Brown Foreman and Jack Daniels at the time, and we had QR codes, and we were trying to educate everybody on QR codes and <laughs> how right. it was going to be the next big ago. thing. And yeah. everybody was like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it kind of caught on for a minute, like, with the younger generation, yeah. but it just never really went anywhere. And now everybody's grandma can do a <laughs> QR code, you know? So that's something that, like, that's so now true. you can't get a menu. Like, so everybody now knows everybody, like, and their dog and their grandma and their pet, you know, like, knows, needs – knows how to do a QR code. So <laughs> that's something that obviously everybody had to figure out right. real quick. Yeah. So What about online sales? Did you guys notice a difference in your so, direct-to-consumer online sales? Oh, yeah. I mean, through the roof, just like retail. Um, direct-to-consumer is a lot like retail, and obviously it was smart because people didn't even have to leave their home, right? They could just go online and order what they were already ordering and that type of thing. So so somewhat related to that, I remember early shopping when, you know, limited um, availability to go to a grocery store and I went to a Whole Foods in town and I noticed that all the paper was gone, all the paper products, you know, that whole thing and that the the wine and alcohol was still pretty full and I, I remember talking to the checker like, it just seems really 
odd to me that people would go for toilet paper versus you know alcohol. Just you know, and maybe three. Well, or four you weeks didn't know that COVID caused <laughs> chronic diarrhea. No, I, I, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. So that should have never happened. That should have by never been a thing. Literally be clear about that. Two weeks later back in the store for whatever and now like the alcohol shelves and yeah. I had the same checker and she's like it happened we've all been home for 10 days and everybody's drinking <laughs> yeah. excessively now <laughs> it's a good thing Bart you yeah. have inventory I have inventory <laughs> you did not need to succumb to the nope. Nope. acquisition of wine off the <laughs> shelves but fast forward today obviously Restaurants are reopening. Um, the business is back. It, it, it's different state by state, obviously. But, you know, there's people. I went to um, North Italia not too long ago, and they're doing it right. I mean, they are maximizing and making up for everything they could because they are still using the outdoor parking lot, dining space. They've got indoor, outdoor, everything. And they're just trying Good to. Good for them. Yep. I mean, they're working on, I mean, everybody, every industry, I keep saying, is kind of in the same boat. But, you know, there's a labor shortage and there's a material shortage. So now... From last year where we couldn't sell anything to now the business is back and everybody's trying to restock and kind of figure out what's what's going to be on their menu, there's a major out-of-stock issue with all of our products because yeah. um, everything's sold so quickly um, to get glass, to get labels, to get closures for the wine where it used to take, you know, four to eight weeks and it's now taking 18 to 20 weeks because – you know, the labor shortage that's out there or these factories are getting shut down when there's an outbreak or something like that. So everything is backlogged. Imports to get stuff um, in from New Zealand. Um, everything is, you know, it's sitting at shore for several weeks. It's here, but it's sitting at shore maybe another, you know, month before we get exactly. the container. That's so crazy. We're that's on a the, four to five times the lead time. Yep. So we have you know, it went from last year of not being able to sell anything, and then quickly we sold through everything, and now it's just a matter of being able to keep up with, we've got the wine, we just can't get it into, and we've done things where we've shipped things, or cases without the um, the outer shippers. Salad labeled. dressing, salad it's dressing like, Yeah, exactly. It's like a plain <laughs> yeah. white case that's going out because, yeah. you know, we have no other option at this point. So it's starting to level out a little bit, but there's still definitely labor and material shortages that are um, in the industry. So... You know, we're doing everything we can to support the restaurants and get them what they need so that they can sell and get back to kind of a, a new norm. Right. So um, this starts from the winemaker directly in terms of them staff having staff and the or the bottles are there. The, no, it's no, no, how no. do we, we distribute the No, no, no. We don't we can't get the glass. So we as the winemakers and the the, the wineries wine and, wineries and, can't and the even production get the glass. team, they can't get the glass. Yeah. Oh my. So it's, it's sitting in just, barrels, yeah. ready to go, yeah. just can't yeah. be distributed. Yeah, this is this is this is stemming from the most basic source <laughs> of the logistical chain. So, like as yeah. an example, yeah. use computer components as an example. The problem in the technology world and accessing TVs, video game systems, whatever it is, is the specific little components, all the individual pieces that make up each motherboard, each yeah. little part of, and it, so what ordinarily would take, let's say 20 weeks, I'm being told is taking 70 to 80 weeks yeah. before you get a piece. The fact that you can't get glass to pour your juice but, into a bottle and then how do you logistically, so then it gets shipped and well, now it's sitting. It may get shipped because there's also obviously because of labor, there's transit times are double. And because it's they sitting, don't have people to do, actually drive the trucks or like, I mean, it's. That's uh, incredible. Yeah. It's interesting. Now, what about For, states that are, so the states that are full, let's say fully functional, the ones that are in the highest demand of your product at this point, maybe not identifying what states those are, but I would imagine that those challenges are even exacerbated based on the fact that they've got full right. scale. Yeah, so you're seeing a lot of substitutions um, or just temporary outages. So, like, obviously, we're trying to get the products to the distributors to get to the customers as quickly as possible. But there's, you know, there's leg time, so um, they're they're being forced to kind of, um, you know, substitute temporarily for what's maybe on their menu, or maybe they're just kind of going rogue and generic until kind of things stabilize. So we're seeing a little bit of everything, but um, it's definitely it's not easy. Um, it's not easy for the operators, um, and obviously they're still operating, you know, almost at half staff. Mm. So um, it's definitely interesting. We went from not being able to sell anything to like now we can, but can we get the product? 
and go back to the point that Devin said too, is now that we're opening up, all the places are maximizing what they can do. The parking lots still have their full (laughs) extra (laughs) patios. They're still doing to-goes. You know, you can still go in and get a bottle of wine or a cocktail to go. You have a state like Texas that just passed into law that that's going to remain their new norm. Yeah, most states are, with the exception of, um, I'll say one and I won't name it, but there's one state that has not moved forward um, in that direction. But pretty much everybody else has um, said, you know, we, we saw no hindrance from it. And obviously these restaurants need to make up for lost time. So until there's a problem, we'll just proceed. And we'll have specific requirements on what oh, that means for it to go. Absolutely. Like in a yeah. Ziploc bag yeah. or zip tied yeah. or you're seeing different. No straw. Yeah. <laughs> no straw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, so a, not a Dixie cup with saran wrap know, on top. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <Or> that. <laughs> yeah, we had that. It's a highly regulated industry and it'll, it'll remain that way. So there will be, I'm sure, very clear laws on yeah, what. In fairness, as yeah. it should. Yeah. Solo cups, not yeah, Dixie cups. Exactly. Here's what it should be. So you guys all know my wife. So Brittany is is amazing. Everybody, Our audience everybody, does not all know. They don't either. all know Brittany, but you guys do. So why it should not be served with a straw. So we went to a concert <laughs> at the Hollywood Bowl, and they will serve you a full bottle of wine in a cup with a straw. And so Brittany ordered a bottle of wine with a straw in a cup at a concert. Of course, it was drink by one person. And you can imagine what the outcome was right. of a single person that doesn't drink that much drinking a bottle of wine with a straw. So I think the idea of not serving with a straw is a good idea. Long story short. Long story short. Well, we have the same <laughs> issue. We had um, cans of wine um, and they were three seven fives, which is two glasses of wine. So we literally had to make like marketing materials to show people this is two glasses this of wine, not This is two glasses. <laughs> By the way, let's talk about the cans of wine. Yeah. Genius. Absolutely. And it's. I don't think it's something that will go away. Cans, and there was a little bit, again, of an alum, aluminum shortage last year because everybody put something in can, whether it's a seltzer, wine, um, you know, cocktails to go, all that type of stuff. So aluminum. You gave us a Pinot in a can. Yeah. Can. Yeah, Acrobat Pinot Noir. Yeah. Those cool cans. It was and nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do a rosé, uh, uh, Pinot Grigio Chardonnay, and a Pinot Noir. And, you know, I mean... It's so easy. You're going on the boat. You just grab a couple of those, but you do have to be aware that it's, you know, two glasses of wine versus one. So you got to be careful about that. Yeah. You know, it's, but it was nice. Yeah. It you is. Know, and, or even to, you know, in that scenario, if you want to just mix it a little yeah. bit with some bubbly yep. to give it a little bit more, I don't oh, know. Scott, just, yeah. Listen to him huh? with his spritzers over there. Spritzers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it's a, hey, look, spritzers. when you're on the boat and it's 115 degrees, <laughs> It actually is kind of nice. Is I'm that how you drink cab when it's 115? <laughs> <laughs> Make it a spritz. Hey, I thought where there's a, a will, trust there's a way. That's a trust tree. <laughs> don't don't trust tell tree. my secret. Don't judge. <laughs> what are we drinking now? So this is the Foley Johnson, which is uh, rooted in Rutherford, right on Highway 29 in Napa. Um, beautiful property. Nick loves this wine. I love this wine too. Um, so, yeah, it's right on Highway 29 in Napa. Um, it used to be the old Sawyer property, if you're familiar with Napa. Um, but the Foley's bought this. Um, the name Foley Johnson comes from Bill Foley. And then uh, his wife is Carol Johnson. So that's an homage to her uh, maiden name as well. So Now, under the Foley label, what are the different wines that they do make? Nick? This is the Foley Johnson? Yep. Oh, I don't even know. Like, well, you gave me one. Well, there's the four. You want? Four, oh, oh, they have forty. They have no of this specific. Yeah, no, they have a handmade one that mm-hmm. literally has the fingerprint on it, and that's my favorite cab that they make. It's there's a cab, uh, Petit Verdot. Um, there's a um, Sauv Blanc. Um, there's a Chardonnay. She's so, the pro. Yeah, not, not all me. of them are. Um, but that's why I asked you first. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting the right answer. <laughs> Can I, I just want to add a comment. The um, as a cab, and I, it's not my go-to if I'm having a big steak dinner, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before. But the tannins on here are really soft. It's it's, it's um, can I say silky? Yeah, the tannins are yeah. silky, and it's drinking nice just all by itself without any food. So, and this is a 2018. 2018. Yep, this is 75% Cabernet, 18% Merlot, four Cab Franc, and three Petit Syrah. So maybe that's classic Bordeaux. Yep. 
That's what the that percentage makes the 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 classic Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, what's the difference between this and when they have that thumbprint stamp, handmade or whatever? Smaller production. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah, smaller production. So, not all of our wines. So, a lot of I should say most of the labels have um, what we call wholesale wines and then direct-to-consumer, which are those handcrafted, smaller production wines um, for our direct-to-consumer purchasing guests and fans like you. Yes. You're right. That is very silky yeah. for as young as it is. Yeah. Not necessarily Nick's. <laughs> oh, I, see, it is, though. You want yeah. the moisture just sucked right out of your <laughs> mouth. Not in this setting. If I were to do that, I would need water. I would be smacking my lips. <laughs> it would it would not be just a, a normal. But with, like, a big dinner or something, yes, that's that's fantastic. That's what I go to. So as a consumer question, if I was to go to each individual, let's say I went to Lindcourt mm-hmm. versus the family, what, uh, the Foley Family Society website. Yeah. And I sign up for a club, or do I get any no, difference? So there's no there's no fees to sign up. So once you sign up, you're basically just saying, "I want to be a fully food and wine society member." You're giving us permission to communicate with you. So there's no cost associated with that. The only cost is whatever you decide to put into your cart and purchase. So um, right now, I'll just say this now, while I before I forget, um, there is a summer special or a kickoff to summer special. So mm. like if you went and picked, you know, wines from Lancaster, Chalk Hill, Foley Johnson. Uh, Lindcourt, wherever, put them into your cart, you're going to get 40% off. Yeah. Once you're a member, make sure that you sign up to be a member first, and then you'll automatically get that discount on any purchase. Then we'll also kind of keep you updated on what's going on with each individual winery, whether there's an event um, or special discounts or um, just special offers as Does well. Does it apply so, to Four Graces also? Absolutely. Yep. Four Graces is a, definitely a little gem as well. Yeah, it really. Is. So yep. that's a great segue. Okay. Segue. So I don't know if I gave you either – it was either when I poured it when you came to the house. You did. Or, yeah, That's okay. how it happened. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. came to the house and knowing his yeah. affinity to Pinot. The Pinot Noir? The trying Pinot to Green. do you a favor. Pinot yeah. Noir. Okay. This is for you, Devin. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I even though I didn't even know, I do appreciate know, yeah. it. <laughs> I poured the Four Graces yeah. for him and he absolutely adore, enjoyed yeah. it, loved it. Yeah. And I shared with him – um, the website yeah. and how to get, and I think at the time it was a sale, which is uh, what you, you signed up for not only a purchase, but then you signed up for the wine club and now you're on their regular allocation. I am on the allocation. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Tim Jones is the winemaker. He, you need to actually maybe have him here next time he's down here or virtual. He is one of my favorite winemakers out of all of ours. He's just, he's fun. He's yeah. easy to talk to, um, but he's just, I think he's wildly talented in winemaking. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That would be great. a great personality too. He's yeah. so fun. Yeah. yeah, that would be really yeah. good. Easily. We can make that happen. I don't even know. <laughs> Enlighten me. What What is Four Graces? What? Four Graces. I'm not the person to do that. <laughs> no. It's a Pinot Noir. Pinot that's, Noir, yeah. That Willamette from Valley. From Devin's suggestion. Oh, or, yeah. 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 Willamette Valley. So they are known for their um, Pinot Noir. Um, there's the Reserve Dundee Hills uh, Pinot Noir. You won't be able to get your hands on it this year. Um, but there is also a Pinot Blanc and a Pinot Gris as well. But beautiful mm. wines. I've had the Pinot Gris. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. nice too. We'll have to get you the Pinot Blanc. I'm sure you like Pinot Blancs as well. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Give it a shot. Yeah. I am missing out on my fo- Foley family. I got to. <laughs> I gotta step it step up. It up. Step it up, Nick. You gotta get in on all these. Well, it is. I would say it's it's very interesting to learn a, the portfolio, and it's a huge portfolio, which becomes daunting yeah. as a consumer to just kind of sort through that. And you know, how do you kind of figure out which, with all of those brands and labels, you know, what's the process to figure out where I settle? starting with probably type of wine, but then from there, how do I disseminate yeah. which products I want to buy? So our website does a phenomenal job. I think if you're kind of in that area where you just want to discover, they put together some bundles and stuff too. So if you know you want to taste from different por- or different labels and different varietals, they put together some nice groupings for the person that it's kind of exploring. Um, but I, I think... It, the know. tasting room in yeah, Santa Barbara too. Yeah, oh yeah. Baccarat. Bacara, Bacara Resort, which is um, a Ritz-Carlton. There it's is a amazing. tasting room there. And then also in the Vista Kalina in Napa, 
Uh, we have a fully food and wine society tasting room, which is basically like going to somebody's living room and being able to taste any of these wines. Um, they'll pour you a splash of any of them. So nice. it's definitely a nice opportunity as well to kind of get exposure to the portfolio and the different. Um, I mean, honestly, if you just want to learn, it doesn't matter if it's our brand or any brand, but if you just want to learn more about the varietals um, that are out there and you're new to wine, it's a great place to go. No better time to start than the summer sale. <laughs> Right, forty percent off. Right, the bundles. Yeah. I imagine many of the bundles everything. would be on. Yeah, everything's. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, have a, side, you guys have a side jam. Yeah, influencers. We're gonna have to start paying that's right. you. That's right. Sponsorship. <laughs> that's great. We this are was great. Optimized. Yeah. We try to be. <laughs> it's an ever-ending, never-ending pursuit. Thank you very much for coming in. Absolutely. Sharing for some of these me. beautiful wines with you. Yeah. This is great, Devin. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Do you want to ask the question? Your closing question? Final thought question? Yeah. All right, Devin. Over your years as a wine professional, what is your ultimate lesson learned? That mm. you're never done learning. There's just something to learn Whoa. every day. That was, <laughs> that was great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Great job. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you.